The night may be long and the dark may be deep, but the answers are there to be found. Whether it's the normal, the abnormal, or the paranormal, you're in the right place. Let's go Beyond Reality. Good evening, good morning, and welcome. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, J.V. Johnson. Thank you for joining me tonight. Hopefully you've found a nice comfy spot to listen. We are going to buckle ourselves in. There's a bit of a pun there uh, as we talk about the controversial and conspiratorial rumor that was circulating. Well, some say it's a rumor. Some believe in it a little more than that, that Paul McCartney died in the 60s and was replaced by a double and that uh, although it was kept secret and never officially announced, the Beatles themselves were sending messages through their music and on their album covers to tip the public off to the fact that that had happened. And we're going to be talking to an expert about this. James Willis will join us tonight. He gives a presentation about this particular topic around the country, and he's going to be sharing it with us tonight, including a bunch of sound clips. Now, we don't use sound clips very often on this program because it's hard to do that, and we are air on a lot of AM radio stations, and, and sometimes sound clips get a little jumbled when you do uh, when you do that. But we're going to play them anyway, so um, hopefully their meaning will be understood and the explanation will be enough if you can't hear them as uh, in as much detail as you would like. So it's going to be uh, quite an interesting conversation. Again, James Willis will be with us in just a little bit to talk about the Paul is Dead conspiracy. We've got a lot of great stuff coming up in the coming week as well. Tomorrow night, of course, is a best of program, as every Friday night is. Monday, we will bring back one of our favorite guests, Glynis McCants, is the numbers lady. She'll come to back to the show to talk about numerology, and she'll be doing some readings for callers as well. So we'll talk for a while, then we'll start taking your phone calls, and she'll do uh, readings for you based on your numerology for the rest of the show. That's Monday night's program. Tuesday night, Daniel Friedman, who is a religion and mysticism st- uh, researcher and an engineer, he'll be looking at the Bible from a scientific perspective. Did the stories in the Bible pass scientific mustard. He's got an opinion on that. He's done some research on it, and he'll share it with us on uh, Tuesday night's program. Um, Wednesday, we've got another returning guest, Cindy McGill. Cindy is a dream interpreter. In fact, she's a master dream interpreter, and uh, she'll be talking about what dreams mean, and she will take callers and tell you specifically what your dreams are telling you while you sleep. Again, that'll be a busy night with a lot of phone calls. And then Thursday, Dr. Peter Langdon Ward, who is a geophysicist, will be talking about his theory about climate change. It differs from from what a lot of scientists are talking about, and you may change your opinion, too, after you hear his evidence and his uh, reasoning. That's Dr. Peter Langdon Ward, Thursday night's program next week here on Beyond Reality Radio. A couple things in the news I wanted to talk about. Officials in Hawaii have announced that there is a go-ahead for the construction of a massive telescope to be built on one of Hawaii's volcanic peaks. Scientists say this particular location is one of the best places on Earth for astronomy, and the new telescope will allow astronomers to reach back 13 billion years in the search for answers about the beginnings of the universe. That construction will begin shortly. be interesting to see what they find. Here's something that's a little bit disturbing. We've all heard about uh, cell phone use and the fact that those uh, radio waves, as we're holding a phone up to our head, may or may not cause issues in the brain. 
um, among which could be brain cancer. But new research has indicated that cell phone use may actually be doing more than just that and more than just changing the way we interact with the world around us. It appears that such use is starting to change the skeletal structure of young people who seem to be developing what they're calling horn-like spikes at the base of their skulls. And the reason for this, it's the result of a continual forward tilt on the head as they look at a screen in their hands. And what it does is it shifts the weight from the spine to the muscles at the back of the head, causing bone growth in the connecting tendons and ligaments. It's kind of similar to the way that skin will thicken and form a callus as a response to pressure or abrasion on the fingers or in other other places on the skin. So the result of all of this is a horn-like bone feature that's jutting out from the base of the skull. They're keeping an eye on how this is progressing, but it's becoming uh, common to find these things. And experts are already currently warning of things like text neck and text thumb, which is like a form of carpal tunnel. Uh, But this new finding, they're saying, could have far greater consequences as uh, these people um, age and uh, and their, their skeletal structure isn't supporting them the way it's supposed to. And one more thing, because we have a guest coming up on the program not uh, long from now, once we get him rescheduled, Dell Bigtree. Uh, we're going to be talking about vaccinations and whether or not they're safe. But in the year 2000, the U.S. had declared that the measles um, disease had been eliminated thanks to the widespread use of vaccinations. And now the disease is back with more than a thousand cases reported this year through June 3rd only. For every 1,000 cases of measles, about three people will die. And health departments are having a very, very difficult time as they direct and redirect scarce resources to manage outbreaks before they become widespread and dangerous. And this often comes at the expense of other important programs and disease prevention efforts, which, according to one health official, is frustrating because measles is so easily preventable. So with that, I'm looking forward to uh, getting Del Bigtree on the program. We've had to reschedule him once. I'm not sure if Orion and Slick have have that date selected yet, but I'm looking forward to having uh, the conversation about vaccinations with Del. All right, that's going to do it for our pregame here, if you will. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll bring in our guest, James Willis. We're talking about the Paul is Dead controversy from the 60s. It's a major chapter in rock and roll history, and that's right ahead. Did you know that online retailers like Amazon have constant deals that can save you money on the things you buy every day? It's no joke. Save 40%, 50%, even 80% on great products, and all you have to do is know about them. Noodle Shark is the way to be alerted when something good is coming your way. Noodle Shark is the social media page that lists great deals that not only save you money, but give you the deals before anyone else has them. All you have to do is find Noodle Shark on Facebook. Search it as The Noodle Shark. That's The Noodle Shark because you deserve to save too. Become a shark and save. Sounds pretty good for a dead guy. <laughs> Welcome back to the program. It's Beyond Reality Radio. I'm your host, JV. Again, a great conversation in store for us tonight. James Willis is joining us. James is an author and a speaker and an expert on this particular controversy, and it's called the Paul is Dead Conspiracy. James, welcome to Beyond Reality Radio. This is going to be a lot of fun tonight. Yeah, how are you doing? I'm really looking forward to it. I hear you're a big Beatles fan, so this should be fun. Yeah, no, I am a huge Beatles fan. Uh, I mean, I'm one of the one of the uh, crazy ones. I love everything Beatles. I listen to everything Beatles, and I play everything Beatles on my guitar. So, yeah, I'm one of those. So do you play your records backwards then? You know what? It's funny. I um, What I used to do, because <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm an album purist. All my albums are in pristine condition since the day I bought them. And uh, so I would never... Uh, 
take an album and actually put a needle on it backwards to play it that way because it would, in my estimation, it would damage the album. So what I would do is I would record them onto a, a reel-to-reel tape if people know what that is anymore, and uh, and I would I flip the tape over, and if you have it, you know, set properly, you can listen to it backwards that way. So I have done some of that. There you go. So let's talk about first here. Uh, by the way, I just want to mention you've done a lot of work in in the paranormal community, uh, ghost hunting, um, written about uh, haunted locations, and if we have time at the end of the program, I want to chat about that a little bit too. But I'm not sure how long this discussion is going to take, so I don't want to rob any time from it yet. Um, so let's start out by uh, learning a little bit about th- how this particular conspiracy controversy attracted your attention to begin with. Yeah, sure. I mean, I have, as you mentioned, I've always been sort of a a weird, twisted little freak ever since I was really young, and I was always sort of obsessed with all things paranormal. I joined my first, quote-unquote, professional paranormal research group um, almost 35 years ago, so I've been doing this for a while. But one thing I've always been very interested in is how urban legends and folklore fit into the whole idea of the paranormal. So we're looking at, say, ghosts or something like that. How do you, how do these folk tales and urban legends sort of fit together? And right around the early 1980s, I think it was, I started getting into, um, there was this idea that was floating around called uh, backmasking or subliminal messages, yeah, sure. which... Uh, different topic for a totally different day but um but it was basically the idea that some of these uh, recording artists were hiding messages sometimes they were subliminal so they were kind of in the background and sometimes they were backwards and all the bands of you know the popular bands at the time Led Zeppelin, Queen, Pink Floyd they were all being accused of it and it was mainly for these sort of nefarious things that they were kind of uh, twisting the minds of uh the youth of America and the world, really. But the really interesting thing about it is, as I started to research that, obviously the Beatles popped up, and we'll get to the big one in a little while, but their alleged message that was hidden in there was, if you played something backwards, you would hear the phrase, turn me on, dead man. And what was interesting to me is if you looked at all of the other backward messages alleged to be there at the time for the different bands, they were about worshiping the devil or a queen was supposedly telling you to smoke marijuana. And it was just because, as I said, they were trying to to twist the minds of the youth. But the Beatles, when I looked up, well, what does this turn me on dead man? What does that mean? They said, oh, well, that's because Paul McCartney is the dead man, and he died in a car crash and was replaced by a double. And I was just blown away by that. I was like, where did that even come from? And as I started to research it, I found out that people really believed it. I mean, to this day, there are people that still believe there's all sorts of other clues that are popping up left and right that people believe that Paul McCartney died in a car crash and they covered it up. Um, And the more people I spoke to about it, I always bring up my sister because she is a a full-blooded hippie, Woodstock going and everything like that. And I remembered when I asked her, I said, did you know about this? And she said, yeah, I did. I was like, did you believe it? And she said, I didn't really care. And I was like, why didn't you care? And she was like, well, I like John Lennon better. But she, <laughs> but she, you know, told me, yeah, people would go around and at parties, they would say, hey, listen, here's some new clues. And 
it was just fascinating to me because it was this idea that people would go to parties and they would share these clues and people would spend time staring at the album covers and trying to find new clues. And it was just something I very quickly became obsessed with because it was the idea. It was very similar to looking for EVPs, you know, trying to listen at what are they really saying, right? as well as a bit of urban legend thrown in there. So it was kind of the complete ball of weird musical wax, I guess you could say. Were the Beatles the first group? They had, I know they were one of the first, and they were very, very experimental in their recording techniques after they got a few albums under their belt. And they, and really, when they stopped uh, touring, they got more uh, in, innovative in the studio. But were they the first to start uh, doing things like recording things backwards and, and putting backward lyrics into songs? They were definitely one of the first. I mean, the, the infamous one was the, uh, the song Rain. Yeah, sure. Which. Is And the story behind that is that uh, John Lennon came home and had the, you mentioned it first, so I don't feel too old, but the, the reel-to-reel <laughs> of, and, and put it, the song Rain on that they had just recorded. He went home to listen to it and was in a, shall we say, altered state and put the reels on backwards, which essentially made the tape play the entire song backwards and was so blown away by that that he went back in the next day and tried to convince the other three Beatles to record Rain completely backwards. And they weren't up for that, so they just actually did put what they term a simple reversal, which is they just flipped one of the uh, the choruses around um, and f- kind of put it into the mix. So there is, if you listen to the one part of the song Rain, there is something that is clearly backwards, and when yeah. you listen to it backwards, it's simply them singing. When the rain comes, they run and hide their heads. So they were, I don't know if they were actually the first, but as you said, they stopped touring, and right around that time, they were able to kind of devote more time to being experimental in the studio and start playing around with different things, which I think, well, I'm, I'm fairly convinced, that was one of the reasons that led to this whole idea that Paul McCartney really was dead because all of a sudden the Beatles were changing. You know, they were doing, they come out with something like Sgt. Pepper, the album. That album cover is a classic. You know, it's a work of art, but it didn't really look like anything else that was out there. And so people were looking for meaning, not only in the album covers, but in the words. And then why is this noise in this, just in this one headphone speaker? You know, they were looking for things there. And then I think with the whole idea that there was a deeper meaning being attached to it, People just went and ran with it. We um, um, have just about a minute and a half here before we have to go to our first break. And I want to mention something. We're going to play some audio cuts as we have this conversation. Many of these audio cuts are the supposed clues uh, that the Beatles were including in their music that Paul McCartney was, in fact, dead. And because we're doing this on a talk program, some of them may be a little bit, bit difficult to understand. But, James, you're going to be able to describe them for us before and after we play them so people know what they're listening for, right? Certainly, yes, yes. All right, so with the minute we've got before we have to go to break, um, put us in a time context here. At what point do people say that Paul McCartney died in a car crash? The earliest reference that I can actually find to it is I found a in the February 1967 issue of uh, a magazine called Beatles Book Monthly. There is a little blurb about that is called False Rumor that said that um, on the 7th of January, so of 67, um, there were rumors going around London that Paul McCartney had been killed in a car crash. 
it does then end by saying it's not true because the reporter went and knocked on the door and Paul McCartney answered. But that's the very first reference that I can actually find of him having died. It's not until uh, roughly August or September of 1969 when the actual rumor seems to spread across the United States. So there's a little bit of downtime in there. And I don't know since the Beatles Monthly, since that was a U.K. mag, that it took a little while to work its way over into the United States. Well, that and also um, between that date in 1967 and then, of course, 1969, some important Beatles uh, music was released, and much of that music is where some of these clues come from, right? You're exactly right. There was also within that that you've got in August of 67, Brian Epstein passed away. So you do have a quote-unquote death within the Beatles organization that I think helped kind of merge the legends together. Uh, James, this has to be one of the most interesting chapters in rock and roll history, don't you agree? Oh, yeah, without a doubt. As we've been talking about, it's it's kind of the whole ball of wax, because as we start getting into the clues, you've got everything from um, ghosts and all backwards messages and weird things hidden on cover. So you've got a little bit of everything thrown together. And I mean, come on, it's the Beatles. So I mean, what is there not to love about it? Yeah, I think that's one of the first questions, too. Could any other band have created this much of a stir with something like this? You know, I, I, I don't think so. Um, when I've kind of gone back and looked and there were other instances around the same time. There was for a very short period of time that um, Bob Dylan was dead, that he had actually died. So there were there were several around that time. And even today, there was... Well, even today, people, hear, recent, people, even today, he, people hear Bob Dylan and think he's dead. I mean, it's, he's, right, he's yeah, got a very yeah, unique and, style. Yeah, it, it, it goes on. And, and I think for me, that's one of the most fascinating aspects is I think... It was the it was almost a perfect storm. It was the right time, the right place, and it just took off. And that's what I keep going back to is that it is such a bizarre story that you're like, yeah, Paul McCartney, you know, a member of one of arguably one of the greatest bands at the time, if not of all time, dying and being replaced by a double, and then the other people hit clues. You're like, that's ridiculous. Nobody would believe that. But people did a lot of, and some people still do. So it's it's just crazy. So let's start at the beginning here. Uh, you mentioned that the first reference of this that you saw was an article in uh, January of 1967. When do we start seeing clues and other information that support this idea that Paul was killed? Um, they start to pop up right around like the end of August or early September of 1969. And for me, one of the fascinating things is as the story spread across the United States, the details of what allegedly happened did not change. The clues got added, but the story, unlike sort of urban legends today, they kind of, the entire story mutates every few years. Mm -hmm. The events of his death the alleged death, never changed. And what the story said is that it was, um, they put the event happening in November of 1966. The Beatles, they had just actually put out Revolver, and they were meeting at um, EMI Recording Studios late one night. They got into an argument because some members of the band wanted to go in one direction musically, and Paul McCartney wanted to go into another direction. There was a huge argument. 
Paul leaves around 5 o'clock in the morning. It was a Wednesday morning. He leaves. He gets into his white Aston Martin. So I love the idea that, again, you've got this urban legend sort of thing, but they're putting in enough specifics that it could pull you along. So he gets into his, his white Aston Martin. He drives off. He's a little ticked off. He sees a woman standing in the rain, um, a hitchhiker, picks her up. She recognizes him and basically does what all of the girls did at the time and basically kind of attacks him in the car. He loses control of the car, crashes, and he has a head wound that's so severe that he's almost decapitated. At that point, the Beatles decide, the remaining three Beatles are like, you know, we can't stop now. So they make the decision, well, we've stopped touring, so let's replace him with a someone that sounds like him. And we'll start there because further down the line, we can actually have plastic surgery done to get him to sort of look like him. But right now, since we're not touring, he just needs to sound like Paul did. Um, so they found somebody that sounded like him. And then as the story goes... They felt bad, the remaining three Beatles, and they started to put clues in all of the records as well as hide things in the song. It's also, I find it quite comical that even to this day, people that believe in this conspiracy say there's Paul McCartney and then there's Fall McCartney for fake Paul. Right. So you will see that all over the place. So there's Paul, then there's fake Paul. But, but that's fascinating to me that that part of the story those things never changed, even though it was spreading across the United States. Um, but to answer your question, right around the biggest sort of break that I can find is in um, September 17th, 16, 17th, yes, um, 1969, Des Moines, Iowa. There is an article that's printed uh, in the Drake Times Delphic, which the editor, Tim Harper, I believe his name was, printed an article that said, is Beatle Paul McCartney dead? And it had some of the, which we'll get to shortly, the, the, the original clues in there. That article was <laughs> heavily plagiarized, and other campus sort of you know, magazines and newspapers started basically putting their own byline on it, but spreading it out. So that's why I think some of the uh, why the original story didn't change at all. Um, but I tracked that through Northern Illinois University um, in September of 1969. I found ads in the um, classified section of a Lansing, Michigan paper that are saying, what clues have you found? So it started to become this thing where people were coming together and trying to find the clues. Um, in October, it had made its way to Ohio. I can find it in uh, Ohio Wesleyan University. There's articles about it. Um, and then in October, what I think ended up making this rumor stick is that uh, Derek Jones, the uh, Beatles press officer, in October, I think it was 19th, of 1969, he did issue a statement in response to people saying, is Paul McCartney really dead? And he basically said, no, he's not. We get these from time to time, but no, he's fine. And then the question was asked, well, where is Paul? And it was, he's on holiday. Hmm. Derek was trying to get Paul to come forward and basically hold a press conference. Paul McCartney was like, I'm on vacation. I'm not coming in for that, paraphrasing, obviously. But sure. And so he didn't, 
he wouldn't respond to any of the rumors. The other three Beatles were being asked about it, and they were saying, I don't know, I think he's alive, but, you know, jokingly, like the Beatles did. Why don't you go ask Paul? And no one could find Paul because he didn't want to be found at the time. He was on vacation. So, again, that allowed the, the story to spread. Um, probably the biggest event is in the middle of October, a Detroit disc jockey from WKNR-FM, um, Russ Gibb, on the air, he's taking calls, and a caller calls in, and this is the infamous quote. Um, the, guy, the caller wants to rap about Paul being dead, and what's this all about? Um, and from there, it just took off. Um, so it spread. I, I, um, there are numerous other articles that I found through that. My favorite one of all the things was that in a... Late October in New York, WABC, there was a disc jockey, Roby Young, that was told, under no circumstances do you talk about the idea that Paul McCartney is dead live on the air. Because, you know, the Beatles were a big commodity, and the station did not want their disc jockeys talking about such things. Well, Roby Young, some say he didn't want to work for the station anymore anyway, but he basically sort of locked the doors and started taking calls and talking about the clues. And then a very infamous incident was yanked off the air uh, mid-show and fired because of that. Now, again, whether or not it was because he was speaking the truth about him being dead or not, you know, I, I couldn't say, but I always think that's a, a real kind of funny event that took place regarding this. So all of this was happening in 1969 as this started to catch fire, snowball, however you want to put it. Um, but then when they start looking at the music and start looking at clues from the music, it goes back as far as Sergeant Pepper, right? Is that the first instance? That is correct, yes. And so, again, what they were looking at is the idea that it, if you believe the event happened, it happened in 66, and the Beatles started placing as you said, beginning with Sergeant Pepper and working their way up. So by the time the, the story broke, there were already albums that they could go back in. But yes, yeah, Sergeant Pepper is really the first album that people point to and say there's clues there. And as we were talking about earlier, if you hold up the front cover of Sergeant Pepper, it is a piece of artwork. I mean, there's yeah. it's not a coincidence that people literally frame that album and put it up on the wall. It is a work of art. But because of what it looked like, that led to a lot of clues supposedly being hidden in there. Um, this is where we probably should have told your listeners, you know, go get the album and pull it out, you know, and hold it up. And we would be just like the little clusters back right. in the day. But right. um, the front cover, if you look at it, what is that supposed to represent? Well, the people who are looking for clues tell you that that album cover is supposed to be a funeral and that all of the people there are actually looking over or down upon a grave, Paul McCartney's grave. Um, and that the Beatles, there's actually, the Beatles are off to the, the left, and they're looking rather sad. You know, the, the older Beatles, if you will. Mm -hmm. That's said to imply that they, they are looking on sad and looking down because they're no longer the same band. Um, the interesting thing, and this will start to pop up in all of the other album covers, is that... Paul McCartney, you know, dressed as one of the Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club band, he's a little different. There's something always when Paul is on the album covers moving forward that sets him off from the 
other Beatles. In this case, they say that he's act and he is. He is the only one that's holding a black instrument. Uh, the, he's got the clarinet there. They're saying that he's doing that because black is supposed to, you know, be the symbol, you know, the color yeah. of death, if right. you will. And again, he's different from the other ones, and that it is a wooden instrument said to imply wooden coffin sort of thing. Um, one of the ones that I think is actually fascinating, and and I need to mention this, I these are not my clues. These are the clues that people were putting were putting forward. Um, I personally don't believe that Paul McCartney is dead, but yet there are some of these clues that you can't deny, at the very least, are really weird coincidences, if not intentional. And that's what I think is really intriguing about this. Case in point, there is a hand over Paul McCartney's head. He is the only one that has a hand over it. That particular idea of Paul having a hand over his head will appear on several different album covers and within the jackets. That is said to be a blessing because he is dead. Right behind Paul, though, mixed in all there, there is a... um, You've got all these famous people there. One of them is author Stephen Crane, and this, I think, is just fascinating. Stephen Crane was an author who wrote, among things, a short story called The Open Boat. In that story, there is a shipwreck, and there is the author and three other men. They make it to a lifeboat. That boat capsizes, and only one of the men, he's the only one who was actually given a name, he drowns and dies, but the other three survive. Hmm. The man who is given a name who drowns is called Billy, or William, which they actually say was the name of the person who became the Paul McCartney lookalike. So again, little trippy, but it is kind of interesting that there is that connection with one of them dying and the other three surviving. Um, the There are yellow flowers there that are said to be on the, if you will, grave. But some people say that those yellow flowers are actually in the shape of a guitar, but the weird thing is that it's left-handed. So it's supposed to be a left-handed bass guitar, which Paul McCartney played. And if you look very close, there's only three strings there. So there's three little wooden things supposed to represent the strings. So are there only three instead of four strings on this particular bass? Because it means that one of the Beatles is missing or departed. Um, the bass drum pops up a lot. Within it, um, it's got a very cool and trippy kind of stylized Sergeant Pepper sort of logo, if you will. They say that if you take a mirror, and I always love telling people this because I, after I give these sort of presentations or talks, I just lay in bed at night and go, I wonder how many people are actually doing this right now. But they say that <laughs> if you take a small mirror and you place it up against the, the drum so that you're sort of looking at half of its reflection, that it will spell out Roman numeral Roman numeral one, the word one, I X, he with an arrow pointing up, die, which is said to pre- translate to one one nine. He Paul McCartney die with eleven nine or November ninth being the date of the final uh, the fatal car accident. Uh, there is a doll over in the, the corner that's actually uh, got a reference to the Rolling Stones on it. Um, 
the doll on its right leg, there appears to be a white car that looks strangely enough like a white Aston Martin car that Paul McCartney allegedly was driving that fateful night. And the inside of it appears to have blood stains from the inside of the car. Um, that doll is actually sitting in the lap of a weird looking, like sort of grandmother looking figure um, on her um lap. She also has what appears to be a blood-stained driving glove, a left-handed one. Again, going back to Paul McCartney, was left-handed. Um, so those are just a few of wow. the um, that are on the cover. Um, and again, if you go into one of the... Um, this album was, again, one of the first to actually have a gatefold. Within the gatefold, there are the four Beatles in close-ups. Mm-hmm. Paul actually has on his shoulder a patch that appears to have the letters OPD, which is said to stand for officially pronounced dead. (laughs) Um, I, you know, I, I actually tracked down that patch. Um, It, I'll give this one away. It's actually OPP, which I will will not say, you know, well, I did just say, you know me, sorry, but um, (laughs) it's OPP and it actually stands for Ontario Provincial Police. So I'll give you that one for free. um, um, The back cover, though, again, groundbreaking in that this was one of the first rock albums to actually have the full lyrics on the back. Right. Yeah. But if you if you look at the Beatles, Paul McCartney is facing away from the camera. They're saying it's because he was the look-alike and his plastic surgery wasn't actually completed yet. Hmm. Um, if you look at the buttons that are on his coat, he's the only one who has black buttons. Again, black being the symbol of death, of mourning. James, we went super long in the last segment, so we only have about 30 seconds here. I know you have a bunch of books out, uh, not necessarily about this topic, but others. Where can people get a hold of your books? Um, probably the easiest way is Amazon or any online bookseller can actually track it down. You basically type Weird Willis into a search engine, you'll end up in my books. Tomorrow night, of course, is a best of. Um, every Friday is. And then Monday night, we've got Glynis McCants rejoining us. She's been here before. She's known as the numbers lady. She'll return to talk about numerology, and she'll be doing readings for callers. So get your dialing fingers ready. The phones fill up when we do these kinds of readings. But we will be doing them Monday. Tuesday night, we've got Daniel Friedman joining us. He's a religion and mysticism researcher, and he's going to be talking about the Bible from a scientific perspective. In fact, one of the things he'll talk about is the six-day creation account, as outlined in Genesis. Does it actually, and can it actually, link with science? And science's 13.8 billion-year timeline. He said there's a way to make that work and... and, um, and uh, uh, coincide. So he's going to talk about that Tuesday night. Wednesday, Cindy McGill will be with us again. She's been here before. Cindy is a master dream interpreter, and we'll be talking about what your dreams mean, and we'll take calls for that too. She will have a um, um, an opportunity to analyze your personal uh, dreams. And then Thursday night's program next week, another great one. Dr. Peter Langdon Ward will be with us. He's a geophysicist, and he's going to be talking about global warming and why the people who claim that it is a greenhouse gas problem are wrong and there is a different problem. And if we don't 
recognize and acknowledge the real problem, we are not going to be able to do any good. So this will be an interesting discussion as well. That's Thursday night. But like I said, tonight we're talking with James Willis about the Paul is Dead conspiracy. James, uh, before before we went to break, we were talking about the Sgt. Pepper album, which really kicked off the quote-unquote clues about Paul McCartney having died in a car accident. Um, you mentioned stuff on the front cover, on the inside cover, and on the back cover. One thing that I don't think we mentioned, you did mention the flower arrangement that was in the shape of what is considered to be a left-handed bass guitar. And I think if you look at that closely, and I, I can't remember specifically, but I think there's only three strings where a regular bass guitar has four strings, again, indicating one of the four Beatles is missing. Is that right? Am I remembering that correctly? Yep, that's exactly right, yeah. So what else? Is there, was there, were there any other uh, reported clues on the cover of uh, Sgt. Pepper at that point? Uh, the only, there were actually two others that were on the back cover, allegedly, and um, they both have, uh, with to put them in context, they're both related to the lyrics that the Beatles are standing near. Um, if you look at Paul's head, right next to his head, is the words are the words without you, and then for me the more intriguing one is if you look at George Harrison, he's actually appears to be pointing at some of the words, and the words that he's pointing at are Wednesday morning at five o'clock, which is allegedly when the uh, fatal accident occurred. <laughs> wow, it's it's amazing, and and you wonder, um, you know, how many people scoured the, those images to come up with that information and those ideas. Um, you know, thousands and thousands of man hours spent on that, right? Yeah, exactly. And and again, I think it takes you back to a, a certain place in time where people were doing that. There were, as I said, I found classified ads where people were reaching out. You know, this was pre-internet. So they were having clue parties. And they were like, what clues did you find? What clues did you... And it it, it, to me, it's just fascinating that people were coming together. They were even coming together just to listen to the music in general, but you kind of had that added layer that was being brought in to really dig deep into not only the music, but the words and the album covers. So it started being something that I think sadly is now missing with today's music. You don't, I can remember when I was a kid, you know, and I got the record and I held it up and then you could kind of look at the artwork and as you were listening, you could look at the lyrics. So sure. it was a full immersion that took place that is it's sadly kind of missing with today's sort of digital music. So I, I really like that whenever I start talking about these clues, I think about people going back and, you know, putting the record on and listening to every single sound that was on there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was a real investment in the music. When you put an album on a platter and put the needle down on that first track and then, you know, lied down on your bed to listen or whatever you were doing, um, you know, you let it play through because it was, in some ways, it was too much work to change it. Um, but at the same time, you recognize that it was, a it, the album itself was an experience from start to finish. And if you didn't listen to it that way, you didn't get the full experience. Exactly. And back then, the artists were actually slaving over the order. You know, this musical journey, how are you going to take them from one song to the other? You can't have too many fast songs. You know, how do you actually mix it up? And again, I think that's what fed into this particular rumor that was going around that he was dead, because this was something new. People were questioning why Why do they have all this stuff in their music? Why is this weird stuff? They were trying to make sense out of everything, as opposed to it being, this was something experimental. They were trying new things. 
People didn't get that. It all had to have a specific meaning. And in this case, it was that that Paul McCartney had died. So, um, when we look at other album covers from the Beatles, I'm trying to recall. Um, I know Abbey Road had some clues. We'll talk about those, I'm sure. But was there anything in between Pepper and Abbey Road as far as album covers uh, that uh, pointed to this? Oh, sure. I mean, every album that came all the way up to the to the, the bitter end, if you will, actually had stuff. The big one from Magical Mystery Tour um, was the whole idea of the walrus. Right. They said that the, the walrus and the whole idea of the walrus being black was the idea that that was a symbol of death. And it started this whole thing about who is the walrus? You know, was Paul the walrus? Is he dressed as that? And it that got into that whole album cover because they had a a booklet that came with that, and people were saying, "Well, maybe it's John Lennon is actually the Walrus, and this isn't a clue because he's actually singing the song I Am the Walrus." But yet, the weird thing is, if you look on the inside cover right next to the song that basically says, "I, you know, I am the Walrus," it's handwritten. It says. No, you're not, said little Nicola. So it's like, okay, is he not the walrus? You know, who is it? And then, um, you know, there are supposed clues hidden within the song, I am the walrus. So that was the big thing for that particular one. Um, The White Album, because it was just a White Album (laughs) cover, Mm -hmm. um, that really didn't have clues. But within that original release of that, it came with a poster, and within that poster were a whole bunch of pictures, and they said that there are all sorts of clues in there, including one which is my favorite clue, is that down in one of the corners, there's a very small picture of Paul McCartney. He appeared, He's sort of in profile, full body shot, and he's clapping his hands, and there look to be like two ghostly, like skeleton hands reaching out for him. <laughs> um, that's supposedly a symbol that he's no longer there. Mm-hmm. Um so, yeah, there are, as you said, going all the way up to Abbey Road, which is sort of the big finale of Clues, that image um, within there where just looking at that cover, uh, everything from Paul McCartney is out of step with mm-hmm. the other Beatles. Mm-hmm. He's, got a, he's got a cigarette in his right hand. He was left-handed. Um, the cigarette is pointing down. Paul McCartney is also barefoot, which is said to represent that he is a corpse. And then the entire context of it is supposed to be a funeral procession and that's why they're dressed the way they are with john and white as this heavenly figure ringo coming second is the undertaker paul is third he's the corpse and then last george harrison who is the uh, the grave digger there's an interesting thing also in the background is a love this there really is a volkswagen beetle um if you look at the license plate the license plate is 28 if which is said to mean that's what Paul McCartney would look like if he had lived to be 28 years old. <laughs> it's amazing. And that car, yeah, and that car actually, with that license plate, sold for a lot of money just because it just happened to be there. Wow. <laughs> it sold for a lot of money. That's it's it's amazing. You know, if you think about the people who um, were taking the the. Uh, photographs for the album covers and you think about if they in 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 fact were intending to put those clues into those pictures how much work that must have been you know i mean how much thought and and energy and work would go into things like having paul hold a cigarette in his right hand pointing down yeah and and that the the one part of that where i'm like that does seem a little weird is when over the years they've gone back and asked depending your point of view the real or the fake paul um 
were these really clues? Were you guys messing with us? What was going on? Paul's explanation as to why he was barefoot was because it was a hot day. That's a little weird to me because he's walking in on the pavement. Yeah. A, a pavement. Yeah. So that one always struck me as a little weird. But you're right. It seems like a lot of effort to actually go through setting all of these up. And that's not to say, you know, I think it's time we probably played some audio now. So where do we want to start with all this? I think we'll go back to and just put them in chronological order. So I think I want to start with um, the reprise of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band, because that's when you kind of line up all the clues in chronological order. This is the first one that was being called out by people. Okay. And what is going on is at the very end of the reprise, as the, the band is actually singing the final words, you can hear someone who sounds like Paul McCartney yelling something in the background. Um, now comes the fun part. Do we do these like an EVP? Do I tell you what people hear first, or do you want to play yeah, it? No, tell, tell, them what tell, them. tell them what they hear so that they can listen for it. Okay. Um, if you listen, as, they, as the rest of the band is actually singing the words, Hearts Club Band, you will hear someone yelling in the background. He is allegedly yelling, Paul is dead, everybody. Really, really dead. All right, so let's play this clip again. You got to listen closely, and it goes by pretty quickly. Here we go. Goes by quickly there, but I heard it. Yeah, it's interesting. And also, if you do look, I cannot find anything on any lyric sheet that says that's anything, that that's even supposed to be there. So again, is that what they're saying? I'm going to play it one more time for I, folks. Let me play it one more time for folks. Here we go. Goes by quick, but I can hear it. Yeah, there, there's there's definitely something there, but if that's what they're saying, that you know that would definitely be <laughs> a clue. And and again, being the first one out of the gate, it doesn't get more specific than that. Um, the next one, and it's actually the next song that that the reprise goes into is um, A Day in the Life, which is, you know, an iconic song. Sure. The interesting thing about it is that when you, you look at the words, especially the one verse that says, he blew his mind out in a car, he didn't notice that the lights had changed, a crowd of people stood and stared, they'd seen his face before, nobody was really sure if he was from the House of Lords. Now, when John Lennon was asked about what that part of the song was about, he said that he read an article about uh, Tara Brown, the uh, heir to the Guinness um, beer fortune, who was involved in a fatal car accident. But when people pointed out to him, well, that doesn't really describe the accident that Brown died in, it's different. John being John said, well, I didn't read the entire article. <laughs> but what, what the, the Cloosters actually say is that if you listen closely, the last line is actual that he is describing in this Paul McCartney's fatal car accident, and that the last line is actually nobody was really sure if he was from the house of Paul as opposed to Lords. Okay. So you're listening to see if he's saying Lords or is he saying Paul? All right, let's play this one. Mind out in a car. He didn't notice that the lights had changed. A crowd of people stood and stared. 
I tell you, I mean, I had never listened to that from that perspective because I'd never heard that clue. But when you listen from that perspective, it sounds a lot like it could be Paul and doesn't sound anything like the House of Lords. It, it, it doesn't. And again, that's what's kind of weird is because that one does seem to be there. Now, is it a forced connection? It's, it's quite possible. But I'm kind of with you. It does to me sound like Paul more than Lords. Um but that's a weird one. And speaking of weird ones, um, to jump over to the next album, um, the song Strawberry Fields Forever, this is one of the, the top clues that um, it is very controversial. Mm-hmm. There is something there, though. But what is going on is at the very end of Strawberry Fields Forever, now there's, a, there's sort of a fade out, and then the song fades back in. Right when it fades back in, you hear these sort of strange guitar noises as it's starting to fade out again. The cluesters say that that guitar is actually mimicking the sounds that ambulance would make, the ambulance that was taking Paul to the hospital to try to save his life, unfortunately, unsuccessfully. So that's supposed to be the sounds of an ambulance. But as it is finally fading out, you can clearly hear it's John Lennon, and he is supposedly saying, I buried Paul. All right, let's listen to this one. Okay, that's really, really hard to hear, and I'm not sure the radio audience is going to pick that up, but at the very end, you hear a a, a drawn-out, I buried Paul. And that guitar lick you're talking about, James, and we only have about 10 seconds here before we have to go to break, that guitar lick moves from in stereo from one side to the other as though it's a passing ambulance, in fact. You're exactly right, yeah, which I thought, again, are they just experimenting with the whole idea of stereo? Or were they doing that for a reason? Uh, James, we were talking about these uh, end of Strawberry Fields Forever, where it sounds like John is saying, I buried Paul. Now, John had an explanation for that, didn't he? He actually had several. Um, when he was asked about it, his response varied, but he did admit that he was saying things at the end there. And sometimes he would say that what he was saying was, I'm very bored. And in other ones, he said that he was saying <laughs> cranberry sauce. Right. Um, now, what I think is amazing, though, is those the cranberry sauce just sounds ridiculous. But, you know, I've collected various demos and things of, of the Beatles over the years. And I believe it's even on one of the anthologies where there are different demos and outtakes of it. And in several versions, at the end, he does indeed say cranberry sauce. But... That particular version that's on the album, it does not sound like cranberry sauce at all. Right, right. So what else? What came next? Um, Next within it, we then go to the song, I Am the Walrus. So again, we had talked about how, who is the walrus? And it's, you know, it's a symbol of death and and what's going on with that. Well, of course, within the song, I Am the Walrus, um, there is a point where it does appear somebody is actually asking, is he really dead? It's sort of a very, it's it's like, is he really dead? It's sort of drawn out, but it's not on any lyric sheet, but that's what it sort of sounds like. I am the eight man. They 
All right, so that comes in right before the little violin part, right? Yes, exactly. And what's interesting about that is when he was asked about it, John Lennon said that he just wanted to, he went home one night and turned on the BBC radio and just whatever was on there, he just recorded it and he decided to mix it in. And you do hear at the end of the song, there are a lot of references to uh, death, um, one of the last lines that are clearly there is, oh, untimely death. It turns out that he was actually had recorded a, um, a version of King Lear that was in there. However, that part, is he really dead? It does not appear to be part of that. It seems that it's sort of stuck in there in the middle. Interesting. But that's not it with I Am the Walrus, right? No. And then this is where the, the first example of allegedly where they are putting a backwards message in there. As the, the song is fading out, you have got um, two different sort of choruses, if you will. You've got one male and one female. Allegedly, they are saying forwards. <laughs> one group is saying, oompa, oompa, stick it up your jumper. And the other group is responding with, got one, got one, everybody's got one. And that's, that's forwards. So I don't know if you want to play that from forwards and then we'll play it backwards. Is or... that what you want to do forward first? Sure, yeah. Okay, let's do the, the forward version first. Okay, so that's the forward version. <laughs> Some people will doubt that, but yeah, that is for <laughs> um, Now, allegedly, when you play it backwards, you will hear a message repeated over and over again that says, Ha ha, Paul is dead. Ha ha, Paul is dead. All right, here comes the backwards version. <laughs> It's a little hard to pick out, but there are a couple points where I could really hear it. Yeah, it's weird. but And a lot of that is, again, going back to where they just experimenting with stereo and this was just a coincidence. Because it does, when you're listening to it through the headphones, it's sort of bouncing back and forth. But you're right. At one point, if that is indeed the message, it gets really clear and then it sort of fades back out. So um, from there, we move on. It looks like we might be moving on to the White Album. Yep, we're jumping into the White Album. Um, this is a forwards um, version of it. It's While my, my Guitar Gently Weeps, which a lot of people have questioned, even without the whole Paul is Dead thing, is why is the guitar crying? The Kloosters will tell you that the guitar is crying because Paul McCartney is dead, and they say that at the very end of the song that George starts to cry out, he starts to say, oh, but then he changes it and starts wailing over and over again, Paul, 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 because he's missing the dead beetle. Still my guitar
people would say it's oh oh, but uh, some are contending it's Paul Paul. Right, exactly. It's it, again. Are they trying to force the context in there because they couldn't figure out why the guitar was weeping and then fit that in there? I don't know. This one, I'll be honest, that one is kind of a stretch to me. <laughs> um, I didn't know there was anything about I'm So Tired, which is a John Lennon song on um, the White Album that uh, pointed to this, too. Yeah, and this one is, again, it goes back to, and, and in case you haven't realized it, there seems to be a John Lennon theme with all of these clues that are hidden in there. Um, but... It, this one is very hard to pick out, so I gave you a couple of versions of it, but it is literally right when So Tired ends, there is a voice that is speaking. It is very low and in the background. That's why I gave you a couple of it. So I think the first one I gave you is actually it in context, but it, as soon as the song stops, you'll hear someone sort of mumbling in the background, and it is there. It just doesn't appear on a lyric sheet. Do we know what they say? Um, what he is allegedly saying is actually backwards. So <laughs> I don't know if you want to go right to the backwards version. All right, of let's it. let's start with the with the first one that plays it uh, in context. You know, I mean, uh, to the to the naked ear, it might sound like just mumbling. Yeah, and and uh, if it is mumbling, which I agree, it does sound like, and it, it is John Lennon. Mm-hmm. Um, he claimed that he was saying, "Monsieur, Monsieur, how about another one?" But they claim that if you play that backwards, you will hear. Paul is a dead man. Miss him. Miss him. Miss him. Okay. So I've got two cuts here. Uh, I think one of them does said ending backwards. It's a very, very short cut. Is that the one I should play? Correct. Yes. Okay. This is a very short cut. Here we go. Yes, you can hear that. You can hear the Paul is a dead man. Miss him. Miss him. Which is weird because, again, and I don't know if we're hearing it because I told you what to listen for going back to the EVP thing, but... Why is that there? You know, and a lot of these things, the Beatles would tell you even before all this started that they like to kind of mess with their audience. They would do something even when they were still performing live where they would wear different color socks just to try to, you know, just to have like an inside gag. So is this another kind of inside gag just to put something in there? I don't know. I also don't know about the next one, which is Glass Onion. Mm -hmm. This is this is forwards. It's in the lyric sheet. And if you are looking at it from a perspective of being a clue, this one is just reeking of them because the lines are, again, the whole idea, who is the walrus? What does that actually mean? The lines to Glass Onion for this particular one are, I told you about the walrus and me, man. You know that we're as close as can be, man. Well, here's another clue for you all. The walrus was Paul. (laughs) It's pretty direct. Yeah. <laughs> All right, let's, let's let's take a listen to that one. I told you about the war is a mean man. You know that we're as close as can be, man. Well, here's another clue for you all. The war is with Paul. I got to tell you, listen to these cuts, and I just want the songs to continue because I love them so much. I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> But you can, I mean, obviously, that, that's the lyrics. That's, what, that's what's in the lyric sheet. Uh, that was a pretty direct reference. 
Right. Now, is that because he is actually giving them a real clue, or is he kind of just throwing them bones? Right. You know, being like, okay, well, if you guys want clues, I'll give you something to try to look for. Right, exactly. And that's John Lennon for sure. There you go, yeah. (laughs) Uh, And again, the next one, another John Lennon, and unfortunately, it's the song that most often ends up on the top of the most disliked Beatles song, and that's Revolution 9. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. which I gave you a an edit of, and then I get, you know, um, I don't know if we want to play that because most people are like, what's going on? But for your listeners that don't know what Revolution 9 was, it was sort of an, an, an audio experiment of sounds and things that were recorded, uh, played backwards. John Lennon makes no secret of the fact that they did have backwards things in here. But where it got its title from is that throughout this very long piece, an engineer, his voice comes on, and he just keeps repeating over and over again, number nine, number nine, number nine. And you're like, what is going on here? Well, some of the cluesters say that if you turn that phrase backwards, number nine turns into the line, turn me on, dead man. And is that what the reverse cut is here? Because I want to go right to that if it is. Yeah, the the so the um the one that's REV at the end of it yep. that is actually number 9 the, the phrase number 9 played backwards. All right, let me let's go with that one. And that, too, moves from ear-to-ear in stereo uh, effect. Yes, it does. And and the really interesting thing is that that Turn Me On Dead Man played forwards is the engineer's voice saying number nine, and it's through the entire piece over and over again. When you play it backwards, the music that accompanies that is also been turned backwards. So... Clearly, they were flipping it backwards. Now, was it because it was a message, or they were just playing stuff backwards and just to get a weird sound of it? I don't know, but this it ranks all the way up at the top of yeah. one of the, the weirdest clues. And as I said, what seems like hours ago when we first started talking, that I this was the thing that I had heard the, the whole thing about. Turn me on, dead man. And what does that actually mean? You know, well, it's supposedly that he's dead. Now, um, Paul McCartney himself, uh, or, or Paul McCartney, whichever one, sang the song <laughs> Let It Be, but you, you say there's a clue here, too. Yeah, and this one is interesting because Let It Be, again, iconic song. Um, when you put it, it is re- there are a phrase that's com- repeated over and over again is Let It Be, Let It Be, that if you play it backwards, the words Let It Be turn into He Is Dead. Wow. Repeat it over and over. All right, let's play that cut. This is Let It Be Backwards. <laughs> Sounds like he is dead. It's weird, though. <laughs> it's really bizarre, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, especially because it's in, it's in quote-unquote, Paul McCartney's voice. Yes, exactly. Or a Paul McCartney, depending right, exactly. on you know which story that you you believe. But yeah, it's it's interesting because again, you play it backwards, and you're like, Did, "Am I hearing that?" Because I was told to listen for it. But no, that's 
it's kind of clear. Yeah. So you is. can't tell if it's accidental or not. It is. It is. Um, all right. So you have one more here for comparison. We've got about two minutes left with you. So let's do this. And I, and I think we also want to play this lentil soup thing just to kind of wrap it yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. The, the whole thing. So the one uh, years after John Lennon's passing, they took an old John Lennon song, Free as a Bird, and they actually kind of mixed in their vocals and stuff like that and sort of re-recorded it, the remaining three Beatles, sort of as a tribute. The really interesting thing is if you watch the video for the song, there are all sorts of clues. Again, a different topic for a different night. But um, but I thought it was fascinating because they, uh, Paul McCartney admitted that they decided they wanted to put a backward message in here as a joke. So this is proof that the Beatles did put at least one of these backward messages in. At the very end, you hear um, a, a man actually, it sounds like gibberish, but what it was is they recorded a man saying, turned out nice again, didn't it? And they decided, we'll put that at the end, and then we'll flip it backwards. And what happened is, according to Paul McCartney, so they recorded just the guy saying, turned out nice again, didn't it? Put it at the end of the song, flipped it backwards, and the three Beatles are listening to it. And when it gets to that part and that phrase plays backwards, the three of them heard, made for John Lennon. And it freaked them all out because they were like, wait a second, is that really John Lennon now that we turned it backwards? All right, so here is the version of it as it was recorded, um, even though it was put into the song backwards. Here's here's it forward as it was recorded. Turned out nice again. So it says turned out nice again, and now here is the version as that that cut was reversed. And uh, listen to what it says here. Sounds like made for John Lennon, doesn't it? Yeah, and it kind of freaked the other Beatles out because they were like, okay, maybe we're dabbling in something we shouldn't be here. Wow. This, uh, we're, we're out of time here, James. This was a fascinating discussion. It's one that's dear to me because I'm such a Beatles fan, too. And I think um, and based on our chat comments and our listenership that uh, folks really liked it, too. Now, you have a website. It's um, got all of your work on there. And I, I'm going to find it's uh, strangeandspookyworld.com. Is that where people should go to find your work? That is correct, yeah. They can find all of my work and, and a whole bunch of these beetle clues as well. Awesome. I'm going to play the lentil soup recipe. Now, where does this come from? This is just fascinating because this actually comes from a Simpsons episode, uh, Lisa the Vegetarian, that featured Paul McCartney and uh, Linda McCartney. And in the episode, they said Lisa wanted to be a vegetarian. And she bumps into Paul McCartney, and he says he's a vegetarian, and she's pleased to say, I didn't know that. And Paul McCartney goes, yeah, it's true, because you know what? If you play Maybe I'm Amazed backwards, you'll hear a recipe for a ripping lentil soup. <laughs> and at the end of the Simpsons episode, as the credits are rolling, there is a version of Maybe I'm Amazed that plays, and you there is clearly something backwards. And so... The recipe thing that I gave you is actually, if you flip that around and you isolate it, this is what you hear. All and right. it is Paul McCartney. And I just got to say it's my favorite part because at the end he goes, oh, and by the way, I'm alive. Thanks for being here, James. I'm going to play this out. Lentil soup. One medium onion chopped. 
two tablespoons of vegetable oil, one clove of garlic, crushed, one cup of carrots, chopped, two sticks of celery, chopped, half a cup of lentils, one bay leaf, one tablespoon of freshly chopped parsley, salt and freshly ground pepper to taste, two and a quarter cups of vegetable stock or water. There you have it, Simpsons lovers. Oh, and by the way, I'm alive. Had to rush James Willis along there at the end. We just ran out of time. A great topic. I hope to have him back on it sometime soon. Uh, remember, tomorrow night's a best of. Next week, we'll pick up with the numbers lady. It's Beyond Reality Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is hosted by Jason Hawes and J.V. Johnson and produced by Alexandria Johnson and Slick Eddie Edwards for Intercom Radio. Beyond Reality Radio is distributed by Westwood One Radio Networks. Stop by our Facebook page and say hello. Follow the hosts on Facebook as well. For Jason Hawes, follow at JasonHawes.Taps. For J.V. Johnson, follow at JVJ Paranormal. If you'd like to be a guest on Beyond Reality Radio or you have a suggestion for a guest, contact Slick Eddie Edwards at SlickEddieEdwards at gmail.com. Be sure to visit our chat room as well at beyondrealityradio.com. Thanks for listening.